The last page has been turned on my most recent read and I'm enjoying another cup of tea, though today more than anything I could really do with a massive cup of coffee. I am exhausted. Guess the smell of a caramel latte candle is going to have to suffice. As you know, I like to talk about different genres, but I do have my favourites and this week I have selected one of them because not only is the book stunning, seriously it is beautiful to look at, it's one that has been in my head to talk about since I first read the EARC last year and I have been recommending it everywhere ever since. Being completely honest, there was another book that I considered talking about that has a very similar theme. However, I hit a mini slump at the beginning of last week and found this, the book I was reading, ended up being one that I had to put back on the shelf to finish at a later date. I absolutely hate when that happens, to be honest, but it couldn't be avoided. So I went back to my tried and true method of reading something by an old favourite and managed to get my reading back on track, though it's still been a little bit slow going because I was waiting for my B12 injection and that always has me feeling absolutely shattered. If you follow me on any of my socials, you will probably have seen either a video or a photo or just read a post where I am telling everyone to pick up a copy of the book for this week. So my views will really come as no surprise. It was yet another book I was able to read in a single sitting. In fact, once I picked it up, I didn't put it down, not even to go and make myself a cup of tea. Oh, I really love books like that. Seriously, if you don't love books like that, then yeah. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion filled as ever, and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I take you on a journey through the traumatic life of a Greek queen in the debut from Costanza Cassati, Clytemnestra. Really, was it any surprise? I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. I will admit that this is another book on a theme, the feminist retelling of a Greek myth. And like Madeline Miller's Circe, it is a myth with many different paths. But it's all about the way you tell it, and Clytemnestra takes the one less travelled. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp, because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session. Personally, I am currently sitting here with a honey and a caramel latte <laughs> candle lit and not only is it smelling amazing it also sounds beautiful because they've got wooden wicks and I will post a link to the place I get them from below anyway get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled depending entirely on when you're listening and your preference of course and let's get started Clytemnestra, the most notorious villainess of the ancient world, 
and the events that forged her into the legendary queen. As for queens, they are either hated or forgotten. She already knows which option suits her best. You are born to a king, but you marry a tyrant. You stand by helplessly as he sacrifices your child to placate the gods. You watch him wage war on a foreign shore, and you comfort yourself with violent thoughts of your own, because this was not the first offence against you. This was not the life you ever deserved, and this will not be your undoing. Slowly, you plot. But when your husband returns in triumph, you become a woman with a choice. Acceptance or vengeance, infamy follows both. So you bide your time and force the gods' hands in the name of retribution, for you understood something long ago that the others never did. If power isn't given to you, you have to take it for yourself. This is going to start by sounding like a cliché from a badly written romance novel. However, it's certainly not intended to be. Clytemnestra is not like other girls. She is a princess and her father is the powerful king, Tyndarius of Sparta. Unlike her younger sister Helen, she trains with the warriors and dreams of being powerful like her father, a man she both fears and admires. As she grows, she continues to train, protecting her siblings from others in Sparta, she is not naive to the harshness and cruelty that awaits many who don't have the privilege she has grown into. As she reaches womanhood, her role within the household changes, though she has yet to realise it. She fights, she trains, she almost scoffs at the womanly pursuits her younger sister so wishes to follow, but she is ever aware that her life is not her own. When she meets the gentle and educated Tantalus of Maonia, she persuades her father that they should marry and for a time she is content, while her younger sister woos and marries the far more dangerous Menelaus, a king with no land, who arrives in Sparta with his brother Agamemnon. This is where the tides begin to turn, and Clytemnestra, safe and happy in the little bubble she has blown with Tantalus and their newborn son, discovers that her father will stop at nothing to build his empire and secure a strong heir to his throne. Up until this point, for me, Clytemnestra was just living, but knowing the woman she became, it was clear that something had to happen to change the direction she was walking. The events that take place next make me wish she had taken her sword and stabbed it through her father's heart, but I couldn't help feeling he wouldn't have one. Agamemnon had long since decided that he wanted Clytemnestra, just as his brother wanted Helen, and seeing she was happily married and a mother to a newborn, couldn't have that. Git. So conspiring with Tyndarius and other members of the palace household, he slaughters her newborn son and her husband, then forcibly weds Clytemnestra with her father's blessing and takes her back to his home in Mycenae. Devastated, heartbroken and understandably furious, Clytemnestra is not given time to grieve. It is her duty to provide her rapist and the murderer of her family with heirs. But you can already see the wheels turning. She has been forced into this situation, this life, by her father's greed and by the man who thinks nothing of taking because he wants... As with all Greek mythology, there is a complex story behind the story, and Agamemnon's family history is no less complicated. His family is cursed to suffer repeated tragedy, but reading between the lines, it is less to do with curses than it is 
the fact that every member of his family is murderous and evil, and he is no different. His father won the throne of Mycenae by killing his own brother and his brother's children, and before that, the throne was stolen through cannibalism and incest. Yeah, lovely. Overall, a pretty unpleasant bunch, and no doubt, had his younger brother Menelaus not been promised the throne of Sparta through his marriage to Helen, there would have been fratricide. Yes, Greek mythology is pretty bloodthirsty when you get to the core of it, but that entertainment sold, especially in theatres. Once in Mycenae, the unhappy queen makes the best out of a bad lot, putting up with her husband and spending as little time with him as she can get away with. It's very clear that, to Agamemnon at least, Clytemnestra is a thing to be possessed. A princess of Sparta, a warrior he defeated through crooked means, and as such she is used, abused and ignored in turn. I guess the latter suits her best. In time, she gives him children, albeit not happily, but she adores them, especially her oldest daughter, Iphigenia. And then Sparta hosts a visiting prince. Helen runs away with him, and the two powerful states go to war with Troy. Feeling something resembling relief that her husband is away, Clytemnestra has no idea what is to come. And then the day arrives. It seems her husband has promised her beloved Iphigenia to the hero Achilles in an effort to persuade him to join the war and fight for Sparta, for the honour of their kidnapped queen. Reluctant at first, she prepares her oldest daughter, who is still really a child, for marriage, and they depart for the coast where ships await in readiness for their departure. Of course, everyone knows what happens next, for poor Iphigenia's sacrifice is just one of only a few mentions for Clytemnestra in the tale of Troy. She is not to be married to Achilles at all. She is to be an offering to the gods to secure safe passage to Troy. As Clytemnestra watches, screaming, her daughter's throat is slit like that of a goat and her blood runs over the altar. A lump grew in my throat at this point. Clytemnestra's pain was so apparent. She has now seen two children of her womb slaughtered by a man who has no heart, no soul, no feelings. He is a product of his upbringing, to be sure, but he is almost fanatical in his behaviour. As battle rages in Troy, a battle rages in Clytemnestra's heart. She is furious, vengeful, but she is not without fault. Mourning her daughter and the brutal way in which she died, Clytemnestra abandons her other children, who were also grieving for their lost sister, though it's doubtful they understand exactly what happened. Electra especially feels the coldness of her mother's manner. It's as though she has closed herself off to prevent feeling anything should another of her children be called upon as a sacrifice to her husband's whims. However, the longer Agamemnon is away, the stronger and more powerful Clytemnestra's hold becomes on the palace and those within it. And when a stranger arrives, claiming to be Agamemnon's cousin, a man who was served mercy when his father was murdered for the throne, she takes him in and they become lovers. And thus begins the slow game. Vengeance is, after all, a dish best served cold. Or, to borrow a quote from William Congreve, Heaven has no rage like love to hatred turned, nor hell a fury like a woman scorned.
I think that this is the fourth new release I've covered this year, beating out the previous year by a solid mile or more. However, when I started thinking about this week, both of the choices I looked at were similar in that they were both about women in Greek mythology. However, that's where the similarities ended. It's been interesting looking at what other people thought about this book, because when you read the reviews others have left, you can see truly how subjective reading opinions are. As you know, I like to provide a balanced perspective always when it comes to the books I look at. And while my opinion will be what it is, taking a look at reviews from both ends of the spectrum can help. So before I give you my review, what did others think of Clytemnestra by Costanza Casati? Liz gave the book two stars, though says it could have been more if she'd been able to listen to the audiobook instead. I did give it 2.5 stars, but that isn't a badly written book. It is just that I really couldn't get into it. It might have been different if I had the audiobook to go along with my reading. I'm dyslexic and I had a hard time with all the Greek names. That isn't on the author, but the ancient Greeks. But like I said, if I had the audiobook, then I think that would have helped 100%. I also really should have brushed up on my Greek mythology. I really didn't remember much about Clytemnestra going into the story, and I wonder if that had an impact on my enjoyment. I wish I saw more feminist perspectives, but I didn't. I know Clytemnestra was supposed to be a strong character, and we did get some of that, and I understand why she did what she did. I would have done the same. I will probably pick up more books by Costanza Casati, and this book again once I get the audiobook, then hopefully my rating will change. This book only came out on the 2nd of March. And if you're listening when you, when I release this episode, it is currently only the 7th. And I pre-ordered my special edition a couple of months ago as soon as I saw what the sprayed edges and the end pages looked like. Sue me, I'm shallow. I'm a sucker for a beautiful book. It was meant to be my first book of March, but arrived early. And I have spent the few days since just admiring it on my bookcase. Seriously, it's been on my bookcase next to my copy of Wayward. And I've just been sitting there occasionally going, aren't they pretty? Yeah, I'm that person. Luckily, though it is a very new release, there are a few hundred reviews available on Goodreads with various ratings. And these are thanks to preview copies and eOx having been sent out. I am happy to be able to say that I read an eOrc and it is this which made me want to buy my own copy once the book was released. Overall, the reception has been pretty positive with 84% of the reviews being four or five stars. However, the very small number of negative reviews all seem to highlight the same areas of concern as they always do, funnily enough, namely the less salubrious characteristics of Clytemnestra that make her unlikable as a lead protagonist and the slow pacing that they felt took away from the story. Of course, as I have said in many of my reviews, opinions when it comes to books are incredibly subjective. So if you do read a review written by someone who didn't like a particular book or an element of it, then it doesn't automatically mean that you are going to feel the same way. You need to read for yourself and get your own opinions if that's how you feel. 
Though there are enough reviews to get a good idea of people's opinions of the book, there are still only 425 ratings and 286 reviews available on Goodreads. And the book has an overall score at present of 4.37 out of 5, which is pretty good for a new release. Of course, if I wanted to get a larger collection of reviews to look through, I could have waited a few months. But as soon as the idea was in my head to talk about Clytemnestra, I knew that my brain would ignore my desire to look at any other book until it was done. Yay for mood reading, right? Kim Lockhart clearly loved this book and gave it five stars, saying, Did I just tag this as one of my best books of 2023? Why, yes, I did. This is the most illuminating account of the lead-up to the Trojan War that I have ever read, and I read just about everything having to do with Greek mythology. The author, Costanza Cassati, brings her incredible knowledge of the ancient Greeks and of ancient Greek literature, and greatly expands the narrative we think we already know. Not only is her storytelling smooth and seamless, but also rich in every detail. As the title suggests, this is the Greek tragedy told from the perspective of the Spartan women. Most novels which cover this subject begin with a narrow focus and expand to the exploits of the famous warriors. However, this author chooses to begin with an expansive examination of the family history, the cultural and religious practices of the time, topographical references, and even the elements of typical modes of dress and of feasts. The depth of the relationships and the flaws of each character further contribute to the rich tapestry, which eventually flows to a tension point of final confrontation and retribution. It is a unique approach and an effective framework for tension building, even when we know how it ends. If you're a fan of Circe, The Song of Achilles, Ariadne, A Thousand Ships or Electra, I can just about guarantee that you will connect with this book too. It's really hard to believe that this is a debut novel. There's a lot to unpack when reading other people's reviews and their ratings depend incredibly on multiple factors, including how they read the book, physical copy, audio, ebook, and the type of reader they are. This isn't a book that I picked up on a whim, though I have to admit that having been less than impressed by many recent retellings of Greek myths in recent years, none have lived up to the wonder that is Circe or the Song of Achilles, I was a bit dubious. The feminist retelling is not a bad thing, especially given in Greek mythology, women are treated as not even secondary characters for the most part. But I really just wanted something to dig into the myth and look at it from multiple perspectives. The minute I got into the story, I truly forgot about everything. I was absorbed in the rich tapestry of Greek life, of Clytemnestra's story. I just wanted to read until I finished and I stayed up really late to do so. I cried, I laughed and I felt incredible anger and pain. Anyway, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Clytemnestra by Costanza Cassati, completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? I don't think that I could say at this point that I didn't like it. It was one of only seven five-star books for me in 2022, and I know that if I read it again now, my opinion would be the same, maybe slightly different, maybe improved as I read further and more in depth. This book is quite simply a beautiful read. 
Is it full of trauma, violence and anger? Absolutely. But then that's what a lot of the Greek myths are full of. Because without those, who would the vicious gods cast down punishment upon? Everyone knows the story of Troy, that Helen was taken from her husband Menelaus by the charming young prince Paris of Troy, and that her face was one that launched a thousand ships. That many died and Troy was defeated. Helen returned to her husband and the Greeks rejoiced as the Trojan royal family was decimated. We also know of Odysseus and his travels, that he encountered Circe on his ten-year journey from the war to his waiting wife. I have Ithaca by Claire North on my TBR, so I will probably talk about that at some point. And then, of course, there is the Greek hero Achilles, who fights because he has to, but also for vengeance for the loss of his true love, though his true love changes depending on the material you read. Clytemnestra is but a footnote in her sister's story. She is Helen's older sister, married to the ruthless king Agamemnon, who it occasionally feels is fighting his brother's battles for him. She is the mother to the child sacrificed for the gods when the wind doesn't rise to help the ships sail from Greek shores. And she is the woman who heartlessly kills her husband upon his return from war. If you read other source material, you will see that she is mentioned more than you would think, but you have to look for her, much as you have to look for many of the women who are but a side note in the stories told of heroes and kings. Cassati's Clytemnestra has been beaten down by so many events. The death of her firstborn, the murder of her first husband, repeated brutal attacks by her second husband, and the betrayal she feels at the hands of a father she believed loved her. She has every right to feel angry, to seek vengeance, but she is patient. And that is what I loved about this book, that she didn't immediately scratch out the eyes of those who did her wrong, but she waited. She was regal and she was calculating. Cassati's Clytemnestra is a warrior. In another review I read, someone actually said they got Diana Prince vibes from her at the beginning, you know, from the start of the Wonder Woman film. And they're not wrong. I love the multifaceted characterization of someone who is usually so one-dimensional. But then, for so many reasons, the only women who have any form of character in original mythology are the ones who have seen godly favour or are gods themselves. I guess that Clytemnestra is an example of this, as is Medusa, whose portrayal in The Shadow of Perseus by Claire Haywood made me both sad and frustrated at the same time. Clytemnestra tells the story of a queen before she became one, the girl she was, the woman she grew to be, and the queen her husband made her. But more than that, it makes her a person, someone who has more than just one side to her. She is far more than the woman who killed her husband in a jealous rage. I would say that this is a spoiler, but any time you look up the myth of Clytemnestra, the act of murdering Agamemnon is the key point in her story. With this book, the stories you have to search deeper for are woven together to make a rich tapestry, building up her story and making her more than just a murderess. The book makes her everything promised on the cover. Mother, monarch, murderer, magnificent. Will I read more by Costanza Cassati? I have to be honest, rarely at this point do I say, no, I'll never read another book by this author. There are a few that I have thought that about, but they aren't often the authors and books I will talk about on being bookish. If I truly don't like a book, then I do my best to be tactful about it, 
though honest. Was there a book at the beginning of last year that earned one star and I still reviewed it on here? Yes, but I have been very careful since then because reading and opinions about books are an incredibly personal thing and my opinion is just one of many. You don't have to take any notice of it. The book I didn't like is one that many have loved, so much that the sequel went on to sell incredibly well and the first book is now being made into a film. Granted, I won't go out of my way to watch, but again, personal opinion. Anyway, back to talking about Clytemnestra because that's what you're here for. Will I pick up another book by Costanza Casati? Absolutely. I love books about the more obscure and ignored characters in Greek myth and mythology in general. I am not choosy, Greek, Roman, Egyptian, South African, South American, you name it, I'll read it. So whatever her next book is, I'll be keeping an eye out and waiting for it. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. There are so many to choose from, but as I have already mentioned them, I have to say that Circe and the Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller are amazing. I would say that both of these have a similar quality to Clytemnestra and focus on the same myth from different angles. If you want to read the story of Clytemnestra from a different perspective, then perhaps Electra by Jennifer Saint is one to take a look at. The story of Electra is obviously told by Clytemnestra's youngest daughter, who is favoured by her father and bitter at the way her mother treats him. As I am being completely honest, it's not my favourite retelling, but then I have always found Electra as a character to be somewhat annoying, and strangely, that view doesn't change in Clytemnestra either. Helen of Troy is a huge book by Margaret George, telling the story of Helen from birth to Troy and beyond. It is a beautifully told love story through the eyes of a woman who is blinded by love to destroy a kingdom. There are many books that focus on the Trojan War from multiple perspectives, but if you would prefer to take a look at other parts of Greek mythology, other gods and heroes, then here's a little list. It grows every single year as more people are turning to the rich stories originally recorded by Homer and Ovid. Ariadne by Jennifer Saint, Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes, Athena's Child by Hannah Lynn, Medusa by Jesse Burton, or The Shadow of Perseus by Claire Haywood. This list is definitely not all of it. This week has been a little quiet when it comes to reading, though I have certainly not halted when it comes to my book buying. Payday on Tuesday heralded the start of a new month, and with that came 10 new books. It all started with The Promise of Ithaca by Claire North, which I discovered I had missed on a recent trip to the bookshop, and ended with the arrival of Cat Lady by Dawn O'Porter. In between, there have obviously been more, eight more to be precise, but I will get to those at some point later on. I am fully aware that book buying and book reading are two very separate hobbies, apparently, but for me, they remain interlinked, though I admit I will buy a book that I have already read in a different format, normally ebook. I buy it so I can read it again. Sometimes I just want to hold a book while I read it. 
In the case of a few books more recently, I have purchased them because I think they're beautiful, but that doesn't stop me from cracking them open and reading the words on the pages. So while I can appreciate that buying and reading are two very separate things, I do one so I can do the other. Sure, there are some books on my shelves that I have yet to read. That happens when you buy quicker than you can read. However, I will get around to them at some point, even if it's in a few months or in some cases, a few years down the line. The funny thing with buying a physical book is that usually I will read it a lot sooner than a book on my Kindle, which proves much easier to forget about for some reason I've never been able to understand. There are some books on my Kindle Fire that have been there for over 10 years and I still haven't done more than go, oh, I've got that book. February ended with 20 books removed from my TBR, including new and old books. However, I also invested in 27 new books, so it sort of balanced out. I started two books that I ended up reshelving as I struggled, A Court of Mist and Fury, which I am halfway through, and The Heroines, which I admitted defeat on at page 206. I say reshelved because I am not unhauling them or giving up on them completely. I just need to temporarily leave them where they are so I can read something else. I don't often half finish a book, to be honest. The last time it happened was with The Atlas Six last year by Olivia Blake. However, when it happens, I know I have two choices. Push on and read myself into a huge slump or put it away for a later date coming back to it with a fresh perspective, which benefits both the book and my reading pattern. All of this continued book acquisition doesn't mean I am closing my eyes to recommendations and I am still looking out for books to add to my wish list and my physical shelf. So if there is anything on your TBR you think I'd love, I am not averse to getting more books, so definitely pass those titles on to me. You can send me an email at notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to check it out. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, which I need to get better at writing, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk, and I promise there will be a newsletter soon. I just need to finish writing it. If you haven't seen it yet, I now have TikTok. I've had it for about a month and a half, to be honest. I've been adding a few unpacking videos as new books arrive. There are a couple of book hauls up there and even some mini reviews. Me talking about a book I've just finished for less than 90 seconds. You can find me there at Being Bookish Reviews. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod. Or you can check out my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and a new book is calling me what's new. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.